Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. Oh, well, hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. All right, some of you are awake in here. I guess the rest of you watched the A&M game last night and stayed up late. But hey, I'm super excited to be able to say Merry Christmas finally because Christmas has been all around us for a while, but I'm pretty grinchy when it comes to doing Christmas before Thanksgiving. And I know that comes to the chagrin of, you know, the ladies in my house sometimes, but there's something about, you know, just giving in to the corporate marketing machine, you know, and skipping the joy of Thanksgiving so we can rush into the the Christmas purchasing season that it just, it doesn't sit well with me. So I, I really, I don't want anything Christmas in my life until Thanksgiving. Now, once the turkey's done though, I mean, it's Katie bar the door. We can we Christmas it up all the way. Like we had all four Pentatonix Christmas albums blasting in our ears on the way home. It's been Christmas music, Christmas everything since then. So I'm excited on this Sunday after Thanksgiving to be able to say Merry Christmas to you guys and jump into the new year. So as we do that, we are launching into our series called Savoring the Christmas Fruitcake. And you have probably wondered what in the world is a fruitcake? have to do with Christmas. And are we talking about the fruitcake on stage? Is it the fruitcake that was on the video? What, what fruitcake, what is it? Well, as Brian said, we are actually talking about the real deal Christmas fruitcake. It's the thing that everyone seems to give as gifts. We all get it, but I don't know anyone that eats it. As a matter of fact, Johnny Carson, who used to host The Tonight Show way back in the day, uh, he said that Fruitcakes are the worst gift. He said, there really is actually only one fruitcake in the world, and people just keep sending it to each other. <laughs> but look, I remember the first time that we got a fruitcake uh, for Christmas. Uh, Andrea and I had just gotten married that year, and a couple uh, that we knew from church sent us a fruitcake. And when we got that fruitcake in the mail, like I felt like I had arrived. Because I knew fruitcake was like a grown-up kind of gift, right? Grown-ups gave each other fruitcakes. College students didn't do that, but grown-ups had. And so we got that fruitcake, and man, that was something. Like that year, I had graduated college. I had gotten married. I got life insurance. I started teaching my very first full-time job uh, as a teacher. People trusted me with their children. I mean, hashtag adulting, right? But when the fruitcake came, we had arrived. It was adulthood, and I felt so grown up doing that, I remember, and then I tasted it, and I stopped feeling so grown up, because I had to go throw up, because it was nasty, and I'm like, how did fruitcakes become a thing? I don't, I don't get it, but believe it or not, fruitcakes actually date all the way back to the Roman era, like way, way back, and people have been giving fruitcakes for a long time as presents. And so when you look at a fruitcake, when you think about it, fruitcakes generally consist of things that are pretty good. I mean, there's pecans and cherries and pineapple and raisins and there's flour and sugar and vanilla and rum. And I mean, lots of stuff really that generally by themselves are good, but something incredible happens when you put it all together. Well, 
is still incredibly gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I got that part over with. <laughs> well, when the fruitcakes start arriving, though, we know we're in Christmas season, right? And when Christmas season rolls around, don't we all generally have a picture in our mind of the joy and the bliss and the happiness that awaits us in the Christmas season? And aren't there always little fruitcakes that arise in our life that kind of try to spoil that and ruin that? Like maybe, maybe your children get extra whiny and materialistic uh, during the Christmas season. Maybe you're standing in line and some jerk steps in front of you and takes the last amazing Amanda doll. And it's the thing your kid has been wanting and now you're staring at an empty shelf. Maybe the, the extra financial stress uh, really overcomes you when you're talking about extra bills and extra presents and, and all of that. Uh, maybe there's an unexpected job loss that your company's downsizing at Christmas to, to make sure their numbers meet the right, the right thing at the end of the year. Maybe, maybe there's the death of a loved one or the anniversary of a death of a loved one. Or maybe it's just that your crazy Uncle Ted always shows up at Christmas dinner and gets drunk and gets in a fight with someone and storms out. I mean, I don't know what the fruitcakes are going to be for you. But it doesn't it always seem that they're there. And they can ruin and spoil our Christmas season and distract us from everything that God intends for it to be if we allow them to. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the people in the Christmas story. And we're going to look at the fruitcakes that arrived in their life on that first Christmas time. We're going to study that and, and study how they responded and learn how we can respond similarly when things like that happen in our lives so that these events, we can look at them not as the disgusting fruitcake, but as an opportunity for God to work in our lives and do something incredible in Christmas. So today we're going to begin uh, by talking about our family. And let's be honest, isn't family often the fruitcake that arrives to kind of spoil the season? <laughs> Yeah, you know, they say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. And there's a reason that they say that. And I see a lot of you nodding your heads because you just spent time with them over Thanksgiving and you're counting the days until you have to do it again at Christmas, right? But what if it didn't have to be that way, though? What if actually spending time with family could be something that is joyful and joy-filled and wonderful? What if all the fruits and nuts in your family could be combined together into something that tastes good and brings joy to your season? And so Joseph, I think, can tell us a lot about that. Joseph, the husband of Mary, father of Jesus. And so we're going to start today with his story in Matthew chapter 1. Let's begin in verse number 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with this part of the story and you haven't, haven't seen it because it didn't happen at the, you know, the nativity and the stable and what have you, let me break it down. So Joseph 
was engaged to Mary. Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit with Jesus before they were married. So what a punch in the gut for Joseph. Right? Because, I mean, people are people. People make mistakes. People do bad things. Uh, People do things to hurt us. But when something bad happens to you from a family member, someone who's supposed to be on your team, when it happens through them, doesn't it hurt more? It, It cuts a little deeper. So the first thing I think that we can learn from Joseph in this situation Uh, And it's number one on your message notes, if you want to fill this in, take your pen, is don't jump to conclusions. Don't jump to conclusions. Because, see, we know from Scripture that Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We know that she was faithful to Joseph. We know that she was highly favored and chosen by God. I mean, look at how the Bible describes her in Luke chapter 1. Says the angel went to her, being Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. So, man, what an honor for Mary. What an honor for Joseph. God chose Mary, but it wasn't a surprise to him that Mary was engaged to Joseph. He picked them both, and Joseph didn't know that at the time, but God had bestowed a great honor on him too. But see, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he assumed the worst. Despite all that he knew about her, despite the character of who he knew her to be, Because look, they'd have likely grown up together. Back then, in those small towns in Israel, it's not like the dense metropolitan area that we live in. People didn't relocate like they do today and like we do here. So chances are, Joseph knew Mary from childhood. They were little kids together. So he'd have known Mary was honest. He'd have known that Mary was not a mean girl or a gossip or a party girl. He'd have known all those things about Mary. But all he could conceive in his head was that Mary had been unfaithful. Now, we know from Luke chapter 1 that after the angel came to Mary and told her what was about to happen, that Mary immediately went to go visit her cousin in a a faraway town. So she spent time with her cousin Elizabeth, who also had recently become miraculously pregnant. In fact, Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, who was a priest at the temple, did not believe the angel when the angel told them what was going to happen. And so Zachariah lost his ability to speak until the baby was born. Now Mary was there for all of that. And when she returned back, And Joseph found out that she was pregnant. Certainly Mary told Joseph all of those things about Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Joseph, had he given her the benefit of the doubt, could have very easily verified all that Mary said is true. And that would make perfect sense that if the angel had appeared to Elizabeth, certainly the angel would have appeared to Mary too. Joseph could have found out all of that. But all he could think of 
was that Mary had to have been unfaithful. So if I can pry into your personal life for a few moments, is there someone that you're dreading being around over the holiday season? Think of who that is. And now, can you identify what it is about them that causes you to have that dread? Is, are they just, are they boisterous and rude? Are they controlling? Are they selfish? What is it about them? Can you put a finger on what it is that you're not wanting to be around? Hold that thought for a moment. Uh, in the book, To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee wrote, um, Atticus Finch, the father, was talking to his daughter, and he said this to her. He said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. So I want to encourage you right now, with this person that you're thinking of, with whomever that is, I want to encourage you to not jump to conclusions about, this, about them and about what they do and about why they do. Because look, it's easy to pass judgment on people on how they act when you hold them up to your lens of expectations. But what if, what if you had an open, honest dialogue with this person in a non-judgmental, non-confrontational way, but just to seek to understand their story, to learn why they act the way they act and do the things that they do, instead of just forcing them to comply to your expectations, what if you sought to understand? And look, I'm not saying that this person isn't boisterous and rude and self-serving and whatever. They, they very well might be. But you may find out that they act that way for some very understandable reasons, for some things that may have happened to them. You, you don't really know until you take the time to interact with them and find out. And maybe... Maybe God uses that conversation to actually start some behavioral change. It could happen. Or it may not. It may not, may not go well at all. But however they respond, whatever they do, the second thing that we can learn from Joseph and the thing that you can learn is this. Number two is take the high road. Take the high road. Let's look back at Matthew chapter, nine, or chapter 1, verse 19 again. It says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph was faithful to the law, but he cared enough for Mary that he did not want her to be disgraced publicly. So he decided to divorce her quietly and break off their engagement. Now, according to the law in Deuteronomy 22, there was much that could have been done to Mary for becoming pregnant without a husband. But he didn't want that for her. He opted to take the high road, and he opted to just break it off quietly. And listen, by doing that, he was basically taking on some public ridicule himself. Because as soon as the community found out that Mary was pregnant and it wasn't Joseph's, they would know that that's why he did not marry her. And then they would start wondering, well, why didn't you do other things 
And so that would put himself on the gossip wheel because that's what happens, right? That people did it back then. That's what happens now. We do that. How many times have you seen on Facebook or Twitter where someone is bashing their ex-wife or their ex-husband or slamming their ex-girlfriend or their ex-boyfriend uh, because they did something and you know they're so mean and I'm so hurt and doesn't it doesn't it make us feel better when we say unkind things about others to the public because we feel vindicated like we feel everyone else needs to know how awful this person is for the things that they have done to me isn't that how it usually seems to go but that's not how the Bible teaches to handle things is it I love the way the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now take your pen real quick and underline, because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Because look, I think what Peter is saying here is when we respond kindly to someone who harms us or does evil to us, then that's God's opportunity to work a blessing for you. Because when you respond to evil with evil, to insult with insult, you have basically just established yourself as adversaries and antagonists. Your relationship is solidified that way. But when you repay evil with kindness, that opens the door for God to work in that person's heart and it opens the door in you for forgiveness to grow there's a family member that we have who cheated us out of a tidy sum of money a few years back and <clears throat> honestly it was a very difficult time for Andrea and I uh, we went through a lot of emotions we were really hurt we were really angry uh, we we talked through do we do we file a lawsuit do we show up on their door for an angry confrontation what do we do how do we handle this and so we spent time in prayer and and where we ended up is we asked ourselves is this worth destroying our relationship with this family member and do we trust God to take care of us without this money and so we decided to let it go. And we did. And I believe because of that choice, our relationship with that person is still intact. God still has an opportunity to work in that person's life and really for God to use that to bring them to Christ. That opportunity I don't know would be there had we chosen another path. And look, for some of you in this room right now, look, I know that there is so much hurt and so much damage in some of your relationships. They're so unhealthy. Maybe there's abuse involved. And maybe restoring a relationship with that person is not even on the radar. It would not be healthy for you. And I get that. But even so, repaying evil with kindness opens the door for God to work. Even in their lives, when you repay evil with kindness... Even if you're not seeking restoration of the relationship, it's still how God tells us to handle it. And look, Joseph, he could have blown up his relationship with Mary. He could have gone to the Nazareth Daily News <clears throat> and done an interview and talked about how hurt he was for the wrong that she had done. He could have posted scrolls all over town for everyone to read 
about Mary's unfaithfulness. He could have got all of his friends to get their wives and girlfriends to ambush her at the water well and to talk bad about her and ridicule her and make fun of her. He could have destroyed her. And he would have felt justified doing it. But he didn't. He chose grace. And he offered kindness when he felt that he had been wronged. And that gesture opened the door for God to do something amazing in the relationship and in their lives. And that leads us to our last point this morning. It's number three. Look for God to work. Look for God to work. Let's continue on in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 20. But after he considered this, which was divorcing Mary quietly... But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now take your pen real quick and let's underline, do not be afraid. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now circle Jesus real quick. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So after Joseph had showed kindness... Then the angel showed up and gave Joseph the 411 about what was going on. And, <clears throat> and I, I want you to look, actually, look back at what, we, at what we circled. And then let's look back at Luke 1, because I really don't want you to miss this. What did the angel say to Mary in verse 30? Do not be afraid. What did the angel say to Mary in verse 31? You're to call his name, what? Jesus. So the angel told Mary and Joseph the exact same thing at separate times. And look, there have been times in my life with Andrea that God has spoken to us separately and told us the same thing. And I'm here to tell you, when that happens, that makes you know that this is God speaking. Because he told us the same thing separately. That's exactly what the angel did for Joseph and Mary. And beyond that, he used the words, do not be afraid. Which is all over scripture. When God calls people to do something, the angels almost always say, Do not be afraid. It is all over the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Joshua, Elijah, Moses. The list goes on and on where the Lord called people to something and said, do not be afraid. Joseph and Mary, they'd have known that because as young Jewish kids, they'd have studied those scriptures. So when the angel shows up and looks at them and says, do not be afraid, they know God is calling them to something. So they stepped out. I believe that gave them confidence for the road ahead because they had no idea what God had planned. 
They had no idea the census was coming that would send them to Bethlehem when Mary was late in term. They had no idea that the, Jesus would be born in a stable with shepherds and wise men coming later to give them things that they would need as they had to flee to Egypt. God had so much planned for them and they'd have missed out on it all. But when you, when you give God the opportunity to work, you see him do amazing, amazing things. And they'd have missed it if they didn't. And so for some of you today, following Jesus for the first time is the step you need to take so you can see God do amazing things in your life. I mean, you've never chosen to follow Jesus, so why not start following Jesus today and celebrate him? It's the reason that we have the Christmas season and all that's around it. It's about Jesus and Jesus' birth. So if you've never chosen to follow Christ, at the bottom of your message notes, there's a sample prayer that you can pray that will lead you into a relationship with Christ. I want to encourage you to do that today because that's how you're going to start to see God at work around you. That's how you're going to have the strength to repay evil with kindness. Not under your own power, not in your own strength. That's not what our self wants to do. But through the power of Jesus Christ living in you, yes, you can do that. And look, there's no guarantee that the others are going to reciprocate that kindness. I would love to tell you that that family member that we showed kindness and grace to, um, that they realized the error of their ways and came clean and made it right, but they didn't. They haven't. Doubtful that they ever will. But that relationship remains open. God took care of us like we knew he would in so many ways, financially, relationally, all of it. And there's still potential in that relationship for God to do something amazing. So what about you? That person that we talked about earlier, those that family members that you're just dreading being around. I want to encourage you this Christmas season. Begin praying now. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for that relationship. Pray that God will open an opportunity for you to have that honest, non-confrontational dialogue so that you can understand that family member and why they do the things that they do. That God will work in that relationship and that he'll give you the strength and the patience to not jump to conclusions but guide you with love and with forgiveness. Because look, when you follow God's recipe with your family fruitcakes, he can make them into something tasty not gross. Will you bow your heads and play with me? Father, thank you. God, thank you for this Christmas story. Thank you for Joseph and the role that you called him to, Father. And, and Lord, I, I just bless you, um, God, for using him uh, in, in the life of Jesus as Jesus' dad, as, as Mary's husband. Lord, for the example that he set for us of how we can learn how to navigate uh, hurt in our lives. Uh, with family. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice right now, God, that as we think of family members that we have conflict with, as we think of, um, God, the, the holiday season that's coming up where we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate you, uh, God, I pray right now that you will begin working in those relationships, that you will begin softening hearts, that you will begin um, 
ordaining conversations to happen, Lord, where we can seek to understand our family members around us, God, where you can bring reconciliation and restitution, uh, Lord, to the, to the point that we can glorify you in our family relationships. So bless us, God, we pray um, that you would do that. God, we thank you for Jesus. Again, God, the reason that we have Christmas and all that there is, God, just the joy that he brings to us, the joy that he brings to our lives, the joy that he brought to our world. Father, we thank you for that, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.